Hello and welcome to Meet the Education Researcher. This is a podcast from the Faculty of Education, Monash University in Melbourne, Australia. Hello, my name is Neil Selwyn and in this episode of Meet the Education Researcher, I'm talking with Steve Courtney. Steve is a senior lecturer at the University of Manchester in the UK, where he works in the area of educational management and educational leadership. Steve has been visiting Monash for a few weeks now to help develop a future programme of critical leadership research. So I took the chance to talk with him about how education researchers might most usefully engage in doing critical work, starting with what the label of being a critical scholar means to him. Being critical to me means that I am located in an epistemic and axiological community where the purpose is to illuminate, problematize power relations. We are trying to make things better for marginalized people and groups of people through the research that we do. So there's a function to it, there's a purpose to it, but ultimately it's about knowledge production. Mm. So making things better for people is a lot to make better in education. It's a tricky one, isn't it? I have had a journey with this over the years because I can see a range of responses um, amongst colleagues in the critical tradition and, and out of it. It seems that some interpret the critical mission as a call to undertake activism themselves. And um, I tried for a long time to think what that might be Mm. and to put some of that into practice. And I see that some colleagues are very good at this, but I was personally heartened by one of Michael Apple's suggestions. He, um, He wrote nine tasks for critical educators in his 2013 book, um, Can Education Change Society, uh, which have been incredibly useful to me and, and to others. But one of them concerned researchers getting on board with people who are better placed to do certain types of activities themselves. Mm. Um, and what I took that to mean was that there are people um, located in activism, doing activist things, and therefore the function of critical researchers might usefully in some instances be to help them to do knowledge work that would enable them to do their activism better. So that's one way in which I've come to think about it. Another way is to rethink what I mean by activism in the first place, making things better. It seems that there's um, a binary created, a a division between knowledge production and activism. I mean, we can problematize that in a few ways. If we take that to its logical conclusion, then knowledge production that does not have any purpose is what is to be lauded. Well, we can't have that because we live in a metricized environment where all knowledge production is intended to have impact. And so impact as activism, impact as policy change. I mean, it's a very, it's a blurred line. And so I think it's a difficult place from which to argue um, good knowledge production, even if we have issues with the way that this is metricized, should have some sort of outcome, some impact. And to state that that outcome should be the alleviation or improvement of conditions for those who are marginalised or stigmatised, 
That can't be a bad thing. So we can have our cake and eat it. We can get a good H-index and also make a difference on the ground. Academics can always argue a way in which we can have our cake and eat it. <laughs> so let's give some examples. You've talked about working with groups rather than kind of working on bikes. So I mean, what's worked for you recently? Well, most recently, I got an email about a week ago um, from somebody with whom I did research. She, um, she was a participant. Um, it was my very first research project. So it was actually my master's research mm. Um, which was looking at lesbian, gay and bisexual school leadership. So there are lots of things about that research which now I think are naive um, and so on. But in her email to me, she said, I just wanted to let you know that I've just reread the dissertation that came out of that because we've just had an Ofsted inspection and Ofsted is the school inspectorate in England. She said, it's not going to make it into the final report, but they noted how the children are comfortable booking gender norms and they are indignant about homophobia they are indignant about sexism and the inspector said that that was notable and the research participant as was said I want to thank you because I had not started to articulate my feminism and my gender non-conformity as a thing until I did the research then read about the research Mm. and so I mean That, for me, was astonishing because it's kind of something that we do acknowledge when we are writing ethics forms. This has the potential to transform participants' understanding of... But I've I've never actually seen any evidence that it does. Mm. And so Apple talks about being a critical secretary, Mm. which I thought was a really interesting way of thinking about that. one of the researchers' roles. I mean, you said Apple's got these nine sort of take-home things that we could be doing. And what what other things is, uh, is on that list? Being a critical secretary is a really important one making sure that critical traditions are not lost, enabling others to see the work that they do through the lens that critical scholars bring, understanding that negotiating and struggling against inequitable power relations and structures, all of these struggles have a history. And so what is being done at any one point has a lineage. And being able to locate your work in that lineage is important. So I guess those things are all really interesting. But I mean, one of the criticisms that's often pushed back at people trying to take that approach is that we're kind of somehow awakening naive dupes that haven't quite realised. And and it's not as quite as simple as that. And there's a danger that you can slip into this kind of power relations yourself where the researcher somehow has a better insight into a a situation than the people on the ground. I guess that's not what we're arguing for here. Um, Definitely not. Um, The researcher has a different insight and that's fine. And that's what Apple is, is trying to make clear. That's why he's saying that the two need to get together to have the best outcome. It's not that the researcher, the scholar, can do everything, um, which is what I was taking from his other point about the need for collaboration Mm. so that you can get on with the thing that you do best and our best place to do. Which is research and scholarship in a way. So I'm really interested in how we kind of make sure that the work we do in this tradition is also, I mean, what what makes this research still scholarly and still research as well as having this more practical kind of activism? Because it's focused fundamentally on knowledge production. And the thing that we bring specifically to it is an awareness of the politics of knowledge production. What that means, not just in the field of research, and yet we are really well placed to make that case, but also what it means in the fields of practice. Mm. So, I mean, this idea of working with knowledge brings us to the idea of theory, and I wanted to talk about theory. So on one hand, I guess people think about critical research very much with a big C, you know, in the Frankfurt tradition of critical theory. 
how wedded are you to that approach and what other theoretical approaches, particularly in education research, really kind of can drive this work? Well, I mean, I've just been talking about our being aware of our lineage, but really it is amazing how little the grand traditions are explicitly referenced these days. And so thinking about why that might be, I suppose, taking the Frankfurt School, it may be that the assumption is that we're all a little bit neo-Marxist these days, Mm. all a little bit neo-Gramscian. There's nothing to be gained from stating the obvious. But I, I think that, if anything, we have erred there a little because mm. what, what is always required is precision of thought, a clarity of positionality. There will be elements that become more and less useful from those traditions. And it's important to be able to have the language to position ourselves within and against them. But from an educational point of view, it's really interesting to think about where new knowledge and new theories are being generated. I mean, what work would you point to from education, say, in the past 10, 20 years that's, that's adding as well as uh, reusing stuff from the past? We are, I suppose, coming through a Bourdieuian turn. Mm. Um, and I was part of that myself. I've, I've taken up, used, and then put down theoretical tools depending on, on the project. So I have myself gone through queer theory, Foucault, um, Bourdieu, and more recently Hannah Arendt is particularly speaking to the times. I've noticed a great upturn in the number of um, outputs that use Arendtian thinking and scholarship in order to think through the times that we're in, which speaks a great deal to how bad these times are. Yeah. So, I mean, could you elaborate a little about what Arendt brings to understandings of contemporary education, contemporary leadership, education policy? Um, she brings a great understanding, first of all, of totalitarianism. She elucidated the um, conditions for that. Um, and I used that with Helen Gunter in my paper, Get Off My Bus, etc. What she brings more methodologically is an understanding of how to use different elements of theory. She introduced me to the notion of pearl diving. And whilst there are things to be said for and against this, it's been useful to me in understanding how the theoretical tools might fit together. By pearl diving, she means that we should go specifically to the past to take up a specific resource, use it as we see fit, not necessarily agonise too much about how it interplays with other sources. Um, I've had conversations with Etienne Wenger where he talks about plug and play. And so it seems that as social theorists, we are concerned with how the theoretical tools that we use do interact. Um, Arendt was completely unbothered by that. And it does give you a lot more freedom to take up tools that speak to the phenomenon that you're looking at. I can see that there are issues, actually, because you can't just pretend that there are no yeah, yeah. concerns with interplay simply by ignoring them. But it has allowed a great deal more variety in what is being examined and how. Can I flip it from theory to method then? So in the critical tradition, particularly the critical education tradition, where do, where do methods come in? Is this all qualitative, you know, post-qualitative work? Or what room is there for methodological pluralism? There's always room for methodological pluralism. I think that the critical tradition is still particularly focused on qualitative methods, primarily because we are concerned with context and there is a a humanist focus on what it means to be that professional, for example, 
doing that job at that precise moment. So there are a number of methods that speak to that and particular traditions that don't. So part of the work that we've been doing has been to provide a counterpoint, a a counter-hegemonic view to the school effectiveness and school improvement tradition, which has privileged quantitative methods. I think it's important to take a step back, and we are perhaps now at the moment where we could do that Mm. and make sure that we're not throwing out the baby with the bathwater and to note that actually great insights about what it means to be, for example, a woman or poor or not white, um, these insights are revealed or can be revealed through large-scale quantitative analysis. Absolutely. And when we talk a lot in the critical tradition about doing work that's relevant, and so if we're trying to do work that's relevant to the policy sphere, doing it through numbers is actually a real good way to smuggle in. I agree completely. Yeah, absolutely. We just need the skills to do it. Now, I just wanted to just reflect on a couple. I mean, I follow a lot of people on Twitter who really don't like social science research, really don't like critical... And there's, you, you get these kind of this pushback all the time. I'm just really interested how, how we can speak back to these criticisms that you hear all the time. One of which is that it's all just pseudo-intellectual navel-gazing, using theory for theory's sake. And I mean, there's a danger, particularly when you read some pieces, that it's very difficult to kind of sort through the wood for the trees, you know, to get past the, the, the very clever use of theory and get really to the nub of the issue. I mean... What's your take on that as someone who's on the other side of the fence? Um, I think we need to take the critique on board where it speaks to what we are doing. And so if we are talking actually about the poor use of theory, then it is true that we have a responsibility to use theory well. Mm. Theory is a vital part of any scholar's armoury because we are all making theoretical assumptions when we make analyses. The only difference is whether we make these explicit or not. And so the what works agenda, which is explicitly a theoretical, reveals a theoretical set of assumptions through that positioning. So the point for me then is about, are we using theory in a way that makes sense? Mm. Are we using it in a way that is illuminative, in a way that makes our explanations and our data sing? Um, If we're doing that, then... Um, it'll never convince. It, I mean, that is partly the point, I suppose, to this question. There are statements that are made and rational counterpoints will not convince anybody to change their mind. But that's part of the wider environment that we're in. Mm-hmm. So I suppose I'm giving you a rational answer where I'm also saying that rational answers um, do not suffice in the present time. There we go. <laughs> and the last thing, the last critique which has stuck with me for the last couple of years is Bruno Latour's. I mean, he was being provocative, but he was arguing, has critique run out of steam? The idea that actually the critical turn over the past 30, 40 years has probably been more trouble than it's been worth. And this whole idea of fostering scepticism and, you know, we're now in an era where, you know, conspiracy theories run ripe. I mean, is he right to say that you know, what we've been trying to critique is actually kind of very critique proof? Well, I would say that our first function has not been critique. It's been the problematization of power structures. Mm. Um, critique is inadvertently a byproduct of that in that if you are looking at an inequitable set of arrangements, then pointing that out implies critique. So it may well amount to something that isn't very different after all, but it's not what we're aiming at. And I think that's important because mm. critique may well run out of steam but there will always be marginalised groups and groups of people and we can't let them down. So 
there's still work to be done. So actually to finish on a more positive point of view, a more productive note, I mean, you've also argued that clearly being critical shifts depending on the research field and the time and the context that we're working in. It's 2019. You've got Boris Johnson and Brexit. We've got Scott Morrison, Trump. What does critique mean in 2019? What should what things should we be focusing our attention on? It's a really challenging one, this, because it's tempting to look at these times in which we live and to think, what is the point of raging against school structures when Brexit is happening mm. and Trump is there and so on? I think now more than ever it's time to restate the case for an education, a public education system that anticipates the formation of such horrendous situations. So, for example, the fact that we are living in societies where populist claims are taken up. This is something where education has a role. Mm. This is something where encouraging and teaching children what truth is, how it can be distinguished from opinion, how arguments can be made, how they should be responded to, what the traps of logic are. Um, these are all things that would have helped the public debate enormously, especially in the UK. But they seem to be skills that are not quite there. And so it's important, I think, in these times to remember that what we always said, which was school structures are a distraction. Perhaps we were distracted by the distraction. Yeah. And there is definitely space for us to rethink what it is that education needs to focus on. Yeah. Public education, public knowledge, public understanding. Well, thanks ever so much for defending critical research in such a robust manner. It's great to have you here. Um, I hope you have a productive time in Australia. Thank you very much.